Welcome to Power Play. I'm Mike LeCouture. Today, deadly attack on Ukraine. <laughs> At least three people have died after one of Russia's biggest attacks of the war. Power stations were also targeted as the bitter cold winter sets in. We'll get the latest from a Ukrainian lawmaker. Then, political promises for 2023. Our strategy session will be by with a cup of cheer and some New Year's resolutions for each party leader. Then, it is our last show of the year, and it's Friday, and you guessed it, our press gallery will have the political plays and misplays of the entire year. This is Power Play. Now let's get to the players. What's being described as the biggest attack against Ukraine since the invasion started in February. Dozens of missiles rained down on cities across the country in what officials say was another attack on Ukraine's infrastructure. It has plunged the town of Kharkiv into total darkness. Winter is already setting in for Ukraine, with citizens facing down months of cold with no heat and no light. So how critical was today's attack and how concerned are Ukrainian leaders about the winter months? Let's find out. Joining me now is Kira Rudik. She's a member of Ukraine Parliament and the leader of the Holos Party. We're also not disclosing her location for security purposes. Ms. Rudik, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Uh, now, this attack today was described as one of the biggest attacks of this war. What can you tell us about what was targeted and what has been damaged? So today, indeed, uh, there was a massive attack, and the, the massiveness was in the amount of the missiles that hit the target. So all in all, it was 76 missiles that Russia launched, and 60 of them were taken down by our Air Force protection. However, 16 reached the target, and it was energy infrastructure uh, throughout the country. So they hit the civilian building, people's home in Krivirich, where at least three people died and three injured, but also energy infrastructure in Kiev region, in Kharkiv region, in other regions have been destroyed. Um, it is critical right now because more than 50% of our energy infrastructure throughout the country is destroyed. So uh, you can imagine that it means uh, that the electricity, uh, it's not the electricity outages, honestly. It's the times when you're getting electricity. Same with the heat, same with the running water, same with uh, the connectivity. And the connectivity issue is the worst because you cannot even know if your loved ones and relatives are okay. Uh, and of course, it's, it's extremely hard. My uh, father lives uh, in the western Ukraine, and they also did not get um, more than two hours of electricity today. And we understand that uh, moving further, the situation will be even more complicated. In Kyiv, right now, the um, uh, subway is not working, and uh, the subway stations are being used at the shelters. And... Um, where I am right now, we are using uh, also generators uh, to get electricity uh, because because there is none um, from from the central grid. So uh, it uh, Russia just continues its terrorism and uh, uh, attacking civilian infrastructure, which for us means that 
that it's fight for survival, physical fight for survival, and getting uh, through the winter. Uh, can you imagine how it is when you have little children or elderly parents or people who cannot even get connectivity to ask for help and are located in the rural areas where it's not that easy to get somebody uh, to help you? So we all understand that our circles of responsibility have tremendously increased. So you have to care not only about yourself and your loved ones, but also about the people who will most likely uh, be hurt much more uh, by the lack of the, you, you know, this basic level of comfort. So uh, I, w I wanted to, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to ask you, what does that mean as winter really sort of sets in and the cold weather is now in Ukraine? I mean, what does this mean for the weeks and, and actually days to come for residents? Uh, let me give you just a couple of examples. Uh, just recently, my friend called, she has a small child and she was crying and I asked what happened. And she said that she got to her apartment, uh, it's on 14th floor, carrying her child. And then she realized that she forgot the keys in the car. And she's right now looking desperately for the, some neighbors to be there so she would not have to carry the child down uh, and, and because it's so hard. And it's just, you know, the basic things. Uh, then there, there were people uh, from the village in the south who uh, who were not getting the insulin for the last uh, two or three weeks, and they were crying, saying like, "Well, um, uh, our parents will just die because the, the medicine is not coming," and um, every single thing becomes a struggle. Uh, getting getting heat becomes a struggle. Uh, getting warm food because becomes a struggle. Getting just through everyday life becomes a struggle. Imagine you, yourself being uh, being like an elderly person who who has to um, usually travel like an hour to the nearest store, and right now you are unable to do that, unable to get the food at all, unable to get the food, and this is of course very very much terrifying. We are setting up the unbreakable shelters throughout the country, but these are not like the shelters, shelters where people can live, but rather the places where people can charge their phones, call their relatives and get warm cup of food. Or, but of course, it will not be enough to cover everybody and support everybody. And, and Ms. Rudok, I just wanted to ask you about the help that is needed. Um, there was that $500 million loan from the Canadian government that has finally been dispersed through the International Monetary Fund. What other critical support does Ukraine right, need right now from Canada and allies? So first point is tactical to help us survive, physically survive through the winter. It's, of course, a generator, warm clothes and uh, additional medicines. Uh, for people. This is the humanitarian support that we desperately need. In the strategic point, what we need is air defense systems. This is critical. This is something that we have been begging our allies since day one. And you see how well we are working with it, how efficient and effective we are with them protecting us from the total blackout. However, it is still not enough. Uh, the amounts that we receive them at uh, are not able to cover the whole territory of Ukraine and to give us like just a small sense of security. So you see that no matter how hard we are trying, some missiles still reach, uh, still reach the targets. And the key point for us would be to make sure that 
we minimize that. So the air defense is critical right now for us, not only for, for the victory in this war, but for the physical survival of the people. And that is obviously something that everyone around the world is focused on. Member of Ukraine's parliament and Holos party leader, Kira Rudik, thank you so much for joining us and please stay safe. Thank you and glory to Ukraine. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has just released a video of his conversation with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky yesterday. Take a listen to this. Uh, Justin, uh, about the energy situation, uh, we really need more urgent assistance to recover stable power generation and transformators and generators. I, I think our team gave to your team all the details and uh, we, we need different types of, of such equipment. And I know that the Ministry of Natural Resources of, of Canada is in close contact with our Ukrainerga. So I wanted to thank you for the decision to allocate 115 million uh, Canadian dollars to restore our energy infrastructure and uh, count on you for the support. Thank you again. Well, you know, Volodymyr, since the beginning, we have uh, been there for you and everything we can do throughout our entire government, uh, we're focused on that. Yes, uh, uh, Christia was happy to be in, in Paris to announce uh, the $115 million, uh, on top of the, the, uh, the hundreds of millions and the billions even that uh, we're, uh, we're pledging in support. But I think one of the things that I'm reflecting on now is just how much uh, Canadians as well, not just governments, are standing with you. Uh, we, we, as you know, put out the Ukraine sovereignty bonds uh, worth $500 million a few months ago, and Canadians invested their own money in support for Ukraine directly, and it really shows uh, how much Canada and all Canadians uh, will continue to stand with you uh, and with all of Ukraine, but also continue to be inspired by you. As we reach the end of the year and the holiday season, um, we're looking back over the year and there is no question that your leadership and the strength of uh, and heroism of uh, Ukrainians uh, is, uh, is the most important story uh, uh, for so many people. And, uh, and it's just such a pleasure to be able to uh, continue to, to, to talk with you and stand with you during this unbelievably difficult time for you, but also for the world. Thank you so much that we are not alone in this so difficult, really, time. Thank you. Thank, thanks to your uh, great society. Thanks, Canadians. And, and please, uh, I, I just... Uh, using this opportunity, I want to wish you and all the Canadians happy upcoming Christmas. Thank you and wish you only peace. And once again, that was video of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in conversation yesterday with the President of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky. Still to come, the latest in our series of Power Players of the Year. We'll talk to two Indigenous leaders who travelled to Rome for historic apology from Pope Francis. What did that historic apology back here in Canada mean for reconciliation in this country? We'll talk to Cassidy Karen and Natin Obed next on Power Play. Truth, justice, healing, reconciliation. That is why we came here today. Apologies matter, 
uh, and they, they might not be the same thing to every single person who is being apologized to, but really the idea is that on a human level, the church acknowledges the human rights abuses, the pain and suffering, the intergenerational trauma, and cares enough about indigenous people to make that apology. This week marks our last Power Play episodes of 2022, and in no particular order, we are highlighting the Power Players of the Year. They're the people, the heart of some of the most important stories of this past year. Now, one of those is the historic apology delivered on Canadian soil. This year, a delegation of Indigenous leaders and residential school survivors traveled to the Vatican. That week of meetings culminated in the Pope apologizing to Indigenous delegates at a public audience. And then this summer, he apologized in Canada during a six-day visit to this country. Indigenous leaders have been clear. The apology is a start, not an end. So what does that apology mean to Indigenous communities? And looking ahead to next year, what needs to happen next in Canada's journey on the road to reconciliation? Let's find out. Joining me now is Métis National Council President Cassidy Karen and Inuit Tapari Kantanami President Natan Obed. Thank you both so much for being here. We appreciate this. I wanted to ask you because you were both in Rome for that audience with the Pope and I wanted to get both your reactions. We'll start uh, with you, President Caron. What did that mean for you and your community to hear that from the Pope in the Vatican? So it meant something different for everybody. When we were at the Vatican specifically, we had three Métis residential school survivors that we were sitting with. Um, for those three individuals, it meant a lot. It was a step forward on our journey for reconciliation to have that acknowledgement. But I know it is very individual. It is a very personal moment. And uh, for others, it just simply will never be enough. President Obed, for you, what was it like? Well, it's a culmination of decades of work uh, for First Nations, Inuit and Métis leaders in Canada calling for the Catholic Church to fully apologize for its role in um, the residential school era. So for, for an advocacy and a uh, political platform, it certainly felt as though we were now in a categorically different space. Um, as President Karen has said, it means something different to, um, to each individual that hears it. But from a systemic perspective and from a relationships perspective, um, it also unlocks the potential to do more work together without uh, this sticking point mm -hmm. and uh, the Catholic Church's uh, previous refusal to apologize as being pretty much the only thing that we yeah. were willing to discuss. Uh, President Karen, when President Obed just said that it unlocks potential. What does that mean for 2023 in that walk on the road to reconciliation? Uh, you know, it, it means that we can continue to move forward. I think the last day that the Pope spent in Canada, we traveled up to Iqaluit and when Pope Francis was leaving Canada, when he was on the plane, a journalist asked him if what happened during residential schools was genocide. Mm -hmm. And the Pope said it was. The fact that that has been recognized as genocide by someone who holds such power and authority does unlock a lot of potential for us to move forward, recognizing that it's genocide, recognizing that we can have these conversations now without simply saying that it was only cultural genocide, because it was so much more than that. President Obed, is there a next step also for the Catholic Church that needs to happen here? 
Absolutely. Uh, we came to Rome with very clear positions and requests of the Catholic Church. The primary request was that the Catholic Church do all in its power to extradite um, a previous oblate, uh, Johannes Revoir, back to Canada. And I asked the Pope to directly intervene and try to compel uh, this person to come back to Canada. As of now, we don't have any, any indication that the Pope has done that. And we also don't have any indication that the French government or the Canadian government can compel uh, this person to come back and face charges in Canada. That is a specific thing. We have many other issues that we would like to work with them on. And certainly things that will have to be addressed in 2023. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about the situation that we continue to follow in Winnipeg with mm -hmm. the remains of uh, two women um, that seem like they have been in that landfill. Um, how important is it on the road to reconciliation, and especially when you consider what this country has faced with missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, how important is it that there are now steps being taken to have this feasibility study and to possibly return them home, President Karen? It's really important, but it's taken too long. We continue as Indigenous people to face systemic injustices, and when they rise to the surface and calls from our people to do more, continue to go ignored for weeks before anything is done. It just highlights how much more work that we have to do. Uh, the feasibility study is a good step forward and in the right direction. And, uh, and we're, we're hoping for, for all the right outcomes, but it did simply take too long. And President Novet, I mean, took too long, but also seemingly there was that original roadblock from the Winnipeg police chief and saying this isn't is, isn't as possible possible at all but that change in the week is is that a good signal that at least there was that step well we've heard that the federal government um, has pledged to provide resources wherever they can in this particular instance but the response should never have been on day one that there's just nothing we can do and we're sorry but too bad especially considering the work that we have all t done together on the inquiry into murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls and the final report. Uh, we still have a long way to go to implement it. And for First Nation, Inuit and Métis women in this country, we need to do more. And this is part of doing more, is respecting the lives of these women's, women in the way in which then uh, these, these proceedings unfold in places like Winnipeg. President Oved, President Karen, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Manitoba Premier Heather Stephenson has just addressed the calls to search that Winnipeg area landfill. Have a listen here. Today, that we will do everything in our power to protect the integrity of the justice process so that you can find some closure. In Manitoba and across the country, we have all seen all too many headlines about missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit. These crimes are a provincial and national tragedy, and another dark chapter has happened here in Winnipeg. We must take every effort to make it stop. We must stop this from happening. To the larger Indigenous community, the province supports a table of your leaders to review and consider what steps should be taken next. We must be mindful of the justice process, but we must also ensure a respectful and appropriate examination of the feasibility of whether these bodies can be recovered. It is honor. 
Again, that was Manitoba Premier Heather Stephenson on the latest in that search for those remains in that Winnipeg landfill. Well, coming up on Power Play, a new year usually means New Year's resolutions. So what resolutions should the party leaders set for themselves in 2023? Our Friday panel of strategists will join us with their New Year's advice coming up next here on Power Play. They're checking it twice and they can spin your words into naughty or nice. Our political strategists are in town and they brought some gifts for the party leaders. They brought some New Year's resolutions. Exercise more, eat healthier, save more money, be nicer to your producers. I could think that one's for me, actually. Um, okay, so what about the leaders? And I will be nicer to the producers, but you know what? It's my last show, so maybe not. Let's bring in our strategy session, everyone. We have Greg McEachran. He's from Proof Strategies. He leans liberal. Laura Kukamaki, she is from Earnscliff Strategies. She's a former conservative issues manager in Prime Minister Stephen Harper's office and the national director of the NDP, Anne McGrath. Thank you all for being here. So we're going to go with resolutions for each of the leaders. Laura, we're going to start with you. And you have to give your New Year's resolution to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. What is it? Uh, well, my New Year's resolution for Prime Minister Trudeau would be um, to let us know uh, that better is always possible and to sort of follow that as he uh, so rightfully, I suppose, coined in uh, back in 2015. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of better uh, in 2022. Um, so I think if he can uh, get back on on that wagon, I think that would be really great. No more breaking conflict of interest rules, getting his ministers to do the same, uh, trying to low-key uh, no more wedge politics, making <laughs> mistakes on guns and a bunch of other things that have happened this year. Um, so that would be, uh, I think he should just take his own advice, not mine necessarily. Yeah, and I have a feeling I know it's going to be just listen to Jugmeet. But anyways, why don't you go anyways? <laughs> Talk about Jugmeet? No, about <laughs> advice for Trudeau is to listen to Jugmeet. Well, of course. Yeah. Of course. No, I mean, I, th I think that uh, I don't disagree with what, what's just been said about about. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, but I think the main thing for me would be um, moving from words to action. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they had a very light legislative agenda uh, uh, this time. Uh, I mean, most of the significant things that that happened were as a result of the uh, agreement with the with the NDP, and the ones that they did do kind of turned out to be a bit of a mess, like the like the gun legislation. Yeah. Uh, they messed it up. So, uh, and at the same time, we are facing incredible pressures in healthcare, affordability, affordability, and many, many other things, and not much seems to be happening on those. So I think it's, for me, it's about implementation. It's about getting things done. We've got to speed things up, Greg. Do you have like 10 seconds on the Prime Minister, or is he just like A-OK? -okay, no, no, I, I, look, they're, they're ending on a high note with the by-election win. Uh, I saw him last night speak to a group of Liberals, very fired up. What I would say is resolve to be the person you were at the Emergencies Act inquiry. Straightforward. You know, less fluff, less frosting, right. straight to the point. He was, I think, excellent in that, and I'd like to see more of that, Trudeau. And let's see some more straight to the point on Pierre Polyev. Let's start with you on his resolution. Well, you know, as a liberal, I'd say, you know, resolve to keep avoiding the media. It's not working for him. So as a partisan, I would say that's a good thing. As a Canadian, um, you know, there's a reason why in the in the mandate letters for the cabinet ministers, the prime minister said, we respect the media. They are you. 
and your colleagues are part of the democratic process. So it's not working for him. Whatever he's doing thus far, and you're hearing a lot of, after the by-election, a lot of unhappy conservatives, whatever he's doing, he needs to resolve to change if he wants to win. As a liberal, if he wants to keep doing it, I'm fine. Laura, as a conservative, I'm Paul uh, listen, I think uh, one of his resolutions should just be to put some big policy ideas in the window uh, for 2023 and uh, get a little bit more well-known amongst the broader general public uh, that way. I think Pierre is really great at sort of boiling down tough uh, policy, complicated issues into something that regular people can understand. Um, and I think a little bit more of that, you know, in a lead up to potentially uh, next election, I think he really has to has to do that quick to get out there and meet more folks. And uh, for Mr. Polyevan. Well, I think he has to really try to avoid the overheated rhetoric that fires people up uh, and, 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 and gets them going. And that might feel very satisfying, but that is not what he needs to be doing. He needs to, I think everybody knows, and he probably knows, he has to broaden his tent. And he can't do it with the way that he's been speaking and with his decision to avoid the, uh, avoid the media, fire people up, uh, be, I think, overly simplistic in some of his, uh, his policy stuff. I think he has to get a little more serious. I'll give you the first crack, Anne, on uh, Mr. Singh. What should he do in 2023? Well, I would like him to maintain his hopeful and optimistic demeanor. He is able to be, he's fired up about the issues, but he is also very pleasant and relatable and 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 really optimistic about what can be done. And a good example of that was when he said the other day in the House of Commons that when he's prime minister, he would do things differently. And a lot of people laughed. A lot of MPs laughed. And it reminded me of another optimistic and hopeful person. That was Jack Layton. When he said he was going to be prime minister and people laughed and he came pretty darn close. Yeah. Greg, for Chuck Singh. He's a nice guy, but there's a saying about nice guys where they finish. And I would pick up on the same point as Ann and say he needs to be more thoughtful. That was, you know, he shot himself in the foot on that. And also in the last couple of days where he's been back and forth about whether or not he's going to support the government on the supply and confidence deal or not. He needs to better game out his answers because when pushed on this, you know, he was asked, well, do you support Premier Smith and Premier Ford? In both those cases, you have an NDP government in an NDP party in Alberta that could soon form government. You have Merritt Stiles, bright new leader in, in Ontario. So he can't agree with those premiers and take their side against the prime minister. He, he did not seem thoughtful. I think he needs to seem more thoughtful. Laura. Uh, well, we are kind of on the same page. I was going to say um, that his resolution should be uh, to be able to say when I'm prime minister and be taken seriously. Um, so we have kind of touched on that. I just think, you know, he has a tendency, uh, to Greg's point, to be a little bit more of a celebrity. And I think he does need to be taken more seriously. Um, he is in, uh, you know, a good position in terms of being able to take credit for uh, some of the uh, few policy wins that the government is actually uh, has actually accomplished in 2022 and likely into the uh, winter session here in January. And I think he just needs to be uh, a little, bu- little bit more bullish, to Anne's point, uh, you know, maybe uh, not be such a nice guy and just, you know, go for the jugular and Trudeau when he can. Chuck me going for the jugular. I don't, think, I don't think, though, I don't think Canadians like it when uh, a, a politician is ridiculed for having an ambition to uh, to govern the country and govern it well. Yeah, no, and, and, and I know that, you know, that laughter, as much as it was sort of a, a funny moment in the House of Commons, I'm sure in the NDP benches, that was something of a bit of sort of maybe teeth gnashing and saying, oh, yeah, well, we'll show you guys one day. Well, it's, uh, that's what happened when Jack said he was, it was going to happen, right. and, uh, and, 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 and people laughed, and Canadians didn't like that, and they thought, you know what, he could be. Yeah. Uh, we've got a little bit of time left, so let's break, break out our crystal balls. Greg, any predictions for 2023 politically? 
Um, we had an MP uh, announced this week that they're resigning, an MP for Oxford, I believe. There's a couple of other by-elections that are going to be coming. I'm watching February because the convoy folks say they're coming back. Mm -hmm. They are not coming back to the same Ottawa as a year ago. I don't think the residents of Ottawa are going to put up with this, and we're going to have a lot of scrutiny on uh, our security and police forces. Um, the Liberals have a, a biennial, biennial here in May. Um, so it'll be the first time in person, a lot of Liberals. And what I want to see is, you know, what is the... How is the base of the Liberal Party? Are they happy? Right. Um, and are they fired up enough so that if Justin Trudeau runs again, they will work hard and return them for historic, right. uh, perhaps, fourth mandate? Laura, for you. Um, I'm going to be looking for some of those similar points. I think the big question is whether uh, the Liberals are going to be able to change the channel and, and turn off of this being looking like a tired old government that's been in power for, uh, you know, eight plus years. So I think that's uh, that's the big question. Is Trudeau going to bring his A game like he did during the convoy hearings? And is he going to reinvigorate the base? Um, the Conservatives also have a biennial convention uh, next uh, fall, beginning of summer. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity for, uh, you know, engaging with party members, setting uh, the agenda. Um, I'm also on the policy side looking to see if the prime minister is going to be meeting with the premiers in January. Um, on health transfers. Um, I think that's one issue that has the possibility to really, really uh, take government off of what they want to be talking about. And don't tell me that the NDP has a biennial meeting in Ottawa too, do they? No, we do okay, not. Okay, okay. The we prediction have... for 2023, though. The, the, the prediction for 2023, my, my sincerest hope is that there is a break in the impasse over the health care transfers right. and that, there is a, that there's a meeting, that there are ag agreements, that we actually start to have some movement on health care. And with respect to the, uh, the agreement between the NDP and the Liberals, there is a lot of work to do in that agreement. And uh, I see the agreement as an opportunity to do more, not to do less. And so I'm hoping that we will make some real serious headway on things like pharmacare. Anne McGrath. Greg McEachran, Burke Kukamaki. Just wanted to thank you guys for the last few weeks that I've been hosting this. You've been wonderful to deal with. I appreciate this. I wish you all the best for the holidays. Thank Thanks, you all Mike. so much. You've done appreciate a great it. job. Merry yeah, Christmas. Sorry about your dress style. <laughs> Stay tuned, folks. You'll, you'll <laughs> Why do I put up with this? I don't have to anymore, frankly. Coming up, we're going to continue looking ahead to 2023, which leader will have an uphill climb next year and who has momentum. Holster Nick Nanus, who never makes fun of me, will join us for his New Year's political predictions next on Power Play. Well, as Canadians keep an eye on the weather forecast to see if we'll have a white Christmas, here at PowerPlay, we've got our eye on a different type of forecast, the political prognostication. You may not have a, a crystal ball, but pollster Nick Nanos does have all those numbers to tell us if we should expect some winds of change. So what's in store for the new year? Let's find out. Joining me now is Nick Nanos, the founder and chief data scientist for Nanos Research. Nick, thank you very much for being here. What do you think will be in store for this uh, liberal minority government in the new year? I think it's going to be under a lot of stress. First of all, we'll probably be into some sort of recession or economic downturn. Canadians will still be struggling to pay the rent and pay the bills, and that'll put uh, pressure on the liberals. And I think 
Jagmeet Singh and the New Democrats are going to be looking to put the liberal feet to the fire to try to deliver more on their parliamentary arrangement. Because, you know, right now, the NDP numbers, they're solid but flat. And I think Jagmeet Singh is going to try to figure out a way to move those things up. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of... Uh, are we going to call it games? Will he be playing games, perhaps, with the Liberals, <laughs> yeah. toying with them yeah. in order to uh, move his files forward? Even though we do have the supply and confidence agreement in, in place and the sort of the, the checkpoints and the check, uh, you know, the road checks as we go along, uh, as one would say, that, that they have to do something by this year, by the end of the year, do you think that Jagmeet Singh will try and amp up the pressure I think to so. sort of bump up those deadlines? It's gonna, it, I think it's going to be one of those, uh, and please don't visualize this, Mike, uh, <laughs> Awkward dances right. <laughs> between Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau, where they will try to work in concert in order to keep the government alive, but Jagmeet Singh will keep his distance. Right. Uh, in order, because I think the worst thing that can happen for the New Democrats, if they're seen as being too cozy with mm -hmm. the Liberals and too friendly, because if something goes sour with the Liberals, if there's a controversy, right, or anything like that, people might put the... Put, People might put pressure on the New Democrats and blame them for propping up the Liberals when they hit that political turbulence, which every government hits. Yeah, speaking of that blame, we know that blame will come from Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives. Now that he does have some, some momentum and the fact that the inflation issue and the affordability crisis is on his side, because we have that stability of no more leadership campaigns and the supply and conference agreement. Do you think this gives the Liberal government a bit of more wiggle room, even though Polyev will still be there to try and continue the pressure? Well, I think it'll, it'll not have as much pressure. But the fact of the matter is, is we can't predict what will happen absolutely mm -hmm. in, uh, in 2023. And something could happen. We don't know what will happen with the, with the economy. We're not sure what will happen on the health front. You know, health care is a really big issue, not right. just meat and potatoes issues. And, uh, and, and the provinces have been uh, talking tough with the federal government. So I think what we do know is that 2023 will continue to be another difficult year for the Liberals, and uh, they're going to have a lot of political juggling to do to stay in power. If you had to give any party the edge, uh, any party the edge going into 2023, would it be the Conservatives and Pierre Polyev yeah. because of where he's at so far? I think uh, probably because there will be some sort of recession. And the Conservatives traditionally do better, uh, at least among Canadians, on those types of issues. And we know from our polling that Canadians are more likely to trust Pierre Polyev rather than Justin Trudeau when it comes to uh, things like managing the cost of living and inflation and stuff like that. So... Polyev has the advantage on, the, on that front, and it looks like that's where the issue is going to be in 2023, so he'll probably have the upper hand. When you were talking earlier about how Singh needs to sort of amp up the pressure and maybe bring up some of those deadlines, does the recession or the possibility of a recession that we're seeing in 2023, does that change the liberal focus and how they start to manage things and maybe their sort of tackling of affordability issues that might play into the, the NDP's hands? Well, I think, I think the liberals are going to have a tough time in 2023 on the fiscal front because the fact of the matter is, is there's only so much that they can do that they can afford to do right now. Canadians are going to be under pressure. And, you know, the government you know, Minister Freeland has already said, you know, they're going to try to help Canadians as much as possible, but it's not going to be like the pandemic. And for the New Democrats, that's probably not going to be enough mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, the NDP are firmly planted as social Democrats. They want to help as many people as possible, especially during these very difficult times. And I think they're going to be putting pressure on the Liberals in order to spend money. So be tough.
enough pressure to remove their support from the supply and confidence agreement? I don't know. It's kind of like political chicken, you know. I think they're going <laughs> to veer up, and then at the last point, someone's yeah. going to blink. One of them will blink. And Somebody will have to blink because, I mean, you would think that the NDP doesn't want an election either. Anytime you press Jagmeet Singh on it, he says, well, I don't want to put Canadians into an election and send them to the polls. Yeah, probably that's the one thing all of the major parties can agree on. I don't think any of them want to have a snap election. Pierre Poilievre wants to build up a war chest and consolidate. Mm -hmm. Trudeau wants to hold on to power. And I think Jagmeet Singh still wants to deliver so that when he does go to the polls, along with the other leaders, he can say, hey, you know what, we're the third party, but look what I've been able to accomplish through the arrangement with the Liberals. Nick Nanos, the founder and chief data scientist from Nanos Research, thank you, thank you so much again for this entire year, and we'll see you in the new year. Happy holidays. Same to you. Coming up, it's our last show of 2022, so what better way to end the year with our political plays and misplays of 2022? Who's getting a gift? Who's getting a lump of coal? Stay tuned, everyone. Our press gallery will be back. was the show before the holidays and all through CTV excitement was building for a break not from each other but from MPs of course politics is our job we love it so and after a year that we've had on Parliament Hill I think we can all agree it's time to go so now our show isn't quite done so we hope that you will stay after all it's time for everyone's favorite segment the political plays and misplays and yes, this is what Greg McEachern was talking about. And I would like to thank Derek for the lovely fireplace behind us. So now let's bring in our wise people who are looking back at the entire year. CTV's senior digital parliamentary reporter, Rachel Aiello. Go to our website, read her Capital Dispatch newsletter. We have Toronto Star columnist Susan Delacorte. And from Ernst Cliff Strategies, with a great effort on the Christmas tie, <laughs> Greg Weston. I am sorry, Greg. We should have spoken about this sooner. I apologize. And again, this suit is real, although real in quotations mark because polyester isn't technically real. Rachel, we're going to start with your play, and you're kind of splitting it up between the Liberals and NDP. Yeah. So before I get into that, I just want to say when I was talking about my uh, play of the year last year, I asked for more surprises in 2022. <laughs> so I would just like to apologize to everyone. No more surprises. Um, I was not careful in what I wished for. Uh, but yeah, so the NDP Liberal deal was my play of the year because it was a surprise. I remember sitting down on my couch that night in March, watching Bashi Kapellis break this story and think, oh my goodness, what? Yeah. And so it, for me, is the play of the year for two reasons. It's had direct impact on some Canadians' lives, the dental care example, uh, but it's also had major political impacts on all of the parties. And if it holds, and I think it will, at least for a little bit longer, uh, Polyev has a longer runway to introduce himself to Canadians. To, uh, Jagmeet Singh, as fourth party leader, is getting some wins, which is not something that often happens. Uh, and for Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, it's giving him time, you know, time yeah. to really think about either cementing some legacy items or thinking about his future. Uh, and the deal in that sense is going to be massively consequential if they follow through on everything they've promised. Susan, a shocker, but can it be winners all around here? I, like Rachel, I was surprised. I'd, I'd had a little hint of it coming, and so we were madly trying to... And I've been telling people it was the only story I liked, the story I really liked covering. Mm -hmm. in um, For all the reasons Rachel said, because it's about doing actual things that make a difference for people. So much of 
what happens here on Parliament Hill often feels like distant from the the real world. But we're talking about things that affect people's lives, and um, and it's about politicians cooperating. Right. And we all say that we'd like to see more of that, and we actually got it. Now, yeah. how long it will last, I don't know. <clears throat> um, but I right now it feels, despite Jagmeet Singh's. Uh, talk this week of a health care election, I don't think see that's in the cards. And I think it's probably solid for a while. Greg, do you think it's solid for a little bit, at least into 2023, passed into 2024? I would be I would be surprised, frankly, if it lasts into 2024. Uh, mm-hmm. Minority governments tend uh, not to. And I was going to say that the the alternative that that um, Susan, you would you would remember some of the uh, uh, and, and Rachel, some of the Stephen Harper minority governments, uh, he had a different way of staying power. He just said every vote here is going to be a, a confidence right. vote. So you, you want an election, go for it. And he lasted about about the same time. The interesting thing is for the NDP, will they be punished for doing this? Um, usually these type of cooperative agreements uh, don't end happily at the polls afterwards for one or the other parties. Yeah. Susan, your misplay is not specifically the Freedom Convoy, but the people who kind of were around it. Yeah, I think what we learned this year is anybody who, uh, my my misplay is anybody who thought they could negotiate with the convoy. Mm -hmm. You know, we start start with Aaron O'Toole, thought that he could manage it. He's no longer leader. Um, Pierre Polyev thought he kind of managed it, but he's been distancing himself from it. Uh, Peter Slowly, the Ottawa police chief who thought that he could negotiate with the convoy. Jim Watson, the mayor of Ottawa. Everybody who thought they could negotiate with this thing, and because it wasn't just one thing, and it's something... I, th- I think it was one of the most consequential stories of the year, and I think, you know, Justice Rouleau's report is going to be really interesting too, but I think what we did see is that anybody who tried to negotiate or deal with the convoy, that was a misplay of spectacular proportions. Greg, forget about the donuts maybe that Pierre Polyev brought to them and coffee. I mean, when you consider the misstep, potentially, was it that much of a misstep for conservatives to pose for pictures with them and to insist on the government try to meet with them? Yeah, it's it's dangerous. Um, every time that happens, uh, we, we always say, we always say, look, well, you know, that's great for the uh, for the liberal government because now they don't have to spend money on attack ads in the in the next election right. campaign. One thing I guarantee: whenever that next election comes, those clips are going to get played and replayed, and people are going to be reminded that they did those things. So, uh, and now, of course, everybody has a camera, so uh, there's not very much that politicians are are going to get away with. Uh, for what little uh, Pierre Polyev may have have gained from from that, I think he will come to regret. I was going to ask you a similar question. I mean, the Liberal War Room probably has archives now of these photos. Is this the type of thing that they were just excited about, Rachel, and now we're thinking, hey, any moment now, you know, we're going to put these out? Yes, with a caveat of we have to wait and see what is in Commissioner Rulo's report. We right. have to figure out whether or not the Prime Minister is going to come out on top in the end. Largely, I think the testimony has shown that their justification for invoking the Emergencies Act was based on advice from the public servants. So I'm anticipating it's probably not going to be an entirely dismal report. Uh, so the government is going to have to kind of tread that line carefully because they don't want to be seen to be gloating for doing something that was unprecedented and historic and invoking these emergency powers. 
uh, and having to kind of play that line of understanding, it was also very traumatic for a lot mm -hmm. of Ottawa residents. So maybe reliving those visuals over and over again might not be the way to go. There still is a long runway potentially for them to grab other things to focus on Polyev. I'm not sure if this thing that happened in 2021 is going to be the attack ad mainly. There's right. lots of other things that have happened that they could uh, fixate on. Yeah. Okay, Greg, we're going to wrap it up with your play. And that actually goes to Mr. Polyev. It does. I, I, this was the year that Pierre Polyev took over the Conservative Party of Canada. And in the world of politics, that's a big deal. And I think in this case, it will be a particularly big deal. Um, for one thing, I think there's a very good chance that sometime this year we may go back to the polls. Uh, and the way the polls are looking right now, um, he, he could may very well become the next prime minister. That would make it a big event. If he doesn't, and he fails to, to take the Conservatives into power this next time, I think there's a very good chance that we will see two Conservative parties um, after that. I think this is the last, after three tries, I think this is the, the sort of the, the last hurrah for, for the existing Conservative Party. Uh, it's just that big. Anyway, I think this will turn out to have been, um, if nothing else, if not a pivotal event, uh, is certainly one that, that will um, help to shape Canadian politics for quite a long time, one way or another. Susan, I've got about a minute left. I'll try and split it between you and Rachel. So can he keep this momentum? Um, it be, it, I, I'm curious because he's been changing tone. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, it's on my list of things I want to watch is the evolution of Pierre Polyev from the campaigner to the guy who wants to be prime minister. And those are very different guys. Rachel? Well, and it comes down to where the country is at. You know, Trudeau and Polly ever locked in this fight right now over whether Canada is broken or not. So I'm really interested to see where that conversation goes. If they were into a recession, how does Polly kind of navigate that and go from instead of just pointing out all the problems to starting to present some solutions? Yeah. Okay. I wanted to thank you guys very much. Greg Weston, Susan Delacourt, Rachel Aiello. I have tried to make you laugh with the yes. intro every single Friday. And... I don't know. Today, I think I may have gone over the top. But you know what? It was worth it. It was worth it. I want to say, I, I, I normally show up with my Santa's hat, and I would have been so upstaged this week, Michael, that I'm, I'm happy. I'm sorry. I'm happy to, I'm take, sorry. I'm happy to take a back seat to whatever that is. I appreciate all your candor, your friendship, and uh, everything you've brought to this show while I've been here. I really appreciate it. Happy holidays to all of you guys. I appreciate this. Yes. And that is your power play year in politics. When this show returns on January 9th, my good friend and colleague, Vashi Capellos, will be here as the host. I want to thank all of our guests, our team behind the scenes here, and of course, you, the viewer. It has been an absolute honor to host this show for the last two months. I will see you back on CTV News Channel in the new year. Until then, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and happy Kwanzaa. Stay safe, everyone. Happy holidays. Mm -hmm.